Good morning, everyone. Welcome back to the Morning Dump, a fantasy baseball podcast. Happy St. Paddy's Day to all the Irish folks out there. And oof, I just turned 30 yesterday. 30 and thriving, baby. Let's go. Today, we are going to speak about points leagues. In a former episode, I shared my opinion on points versus categories and that I've come to prefer categories leagues because in points, you know, I found myself really just looking at one number while categories, I'm able to design a team that is dominating many of the categories while punting some others. Well, since creating this show, I have reconnected with an old friend. He played on our high school baseball team and was trying to make it on some college teams before suffering a torn labrum and dislocated shoulder. But nonetheless, he's a diehard lover of the game and has been a big supporter of the show. Appreciate you, man. Earlier this week, he shared with me how he appreciates points leagues from a player's perspective, because they factor in more stats with respect to your fantasy team that more accurately represent a player's full contributions on the field, which makes me really appreciate it myself. Hours later, I come across the Points League pros on Reddit. Two gents by the name of Luis Calabro and Justin Chernow, who have been dominating Points Leagues for about 14 years now. I saw them posting on Reddit about how much fun points leagues can be and offering content on how best to structure and attack your points leagues and much more, which there is quite a lack of content on out there. I reached out to these guys and without further ado, may I present the points league pros. Fellas, thank you very much for joining the morning dump today. Matt, thanks for having us. Big honor. We're, uh, we're very excited to be here. Really glad to have you both here. It's great timing for folks to start following you guys and all the content you're putting out there as we're about three weeks away from opening day. So let's get to it. Yeah, they kind of sprung it on us, right? Like we didn't know if we were going to have a season right away. And then all of a sudden, boom, go. There's a bunch of updates, a bunch of people getting injured, traded. It's been crazy, but it's been a lot of fun. So fast, man. So much to keep up with. I'm loving all the action out there. Guys getting signed left and right. Some trades happening. The reuniting of Sonny and Gary over (laughs) in Minnesota, huh? (laughs) So my first one for both of you guys. Can you each offer us two more reasons why you have come to prefer points leagues to Cats and Roto? Yeah, sure. Um, Justin, if you don't mind, I'll, I'll go first. Go ahead, take it. All right, man. Um, so to uh, to what you were saying earlier about your friend's point, I agree very much. And I think it's very fun when you're playing in a points league because you're drafting players for their overall contributions, right? Like a lot of times when we were playing Roto or category leagues, I would find myself looking at one or two statistics, especially as you get into those middle to later rounds. You know, you'll start looking at two category contributors and you'll feel excited about taking them whereas in a points league you're looking a lot more at at what they're doing as far as it contributes to the 
the team that they're on, you know, are they getting on base more, right? Like on base percentage, for example, something that I know some leagues use on base percentage a lot, but points leagues on base percentage is like a, a pivotal part. Like are, are walks getting uh, factored in there, you know, like strikeouts, how often are, are they striking out? So I feel like you're, you're putting together a full team when you're playing in points leagues rather than, okay, I've got my guys who hit home runs. I've got my guys who uh, can steal bases. So I would say that's that's the first reason I like it. And the second one is, uh, I guess, just a psychological reason. I've had a lot more fun in points leagues because I, I think they're more satisfying. You come away at the end of the week and you get a win or a loss. I mean, very, very rarely you'll you'll get a tie. But in, in a roto league, you know, you've got this delayed gratification where you're just kind of monitoring the leaderboards all year to see who who's first, who's second, who's third. And in a, a head-to-head league, which is probably the the type of league I've played second most after points, I don't know. Like you know, you'll you'll have a great week, and then you'll come away with a, a seven and three result. Maybe you've already played a bunch, so your record looks ridiculous. It's like fifty-four and thirty-eight. You know, it's. I prefer points leagues because I feel like I'm having more fun. I got a win this this week. I scored you know fifty more points than my opponent. It's more accessible that way, and and we found it keeps owners more active, more engaged. So yeah, I, I feel like overall, in my experience, points leagues have just been a lot better. And I think a good comparison is right. Like, imagine if fantasy football was a a rotisserie or a category league. Like, would it be as popular? You know, I know fantasy basketball recently uh, converted from a, a category setup to more of a points league setup as like the uh, the dominant league. You know, and it's gotten more popular, it seems, lately. So I feel like if points leagues can be more mainstream, maybe fantasy baseball should be up there because we feel it's the best fantasy sport, and uh, we'd love to have it be a little more popular. Yeah, for me, I think it's it's really about weighting the statistics appropriately. In Roto League and Category Leagues, every statistic either has the same weight or it's not included in the weighting as in terms of the final outcome. So... When you include something like stolen bases and home runs as part of the overall Roto standings, what ends up happening is that those two things are weighted equally from a fantasy standpoint, but I think that there's no denying that one of those is more valuable from an on-the-field standpoint. If you show me two players and one hits 50 home runs and one steals 50 bases, if I'm the GM of a team, I'd much rather have the one that hits 50 home runs. That's 50 runs on the board. I don't care as much if he gets from first to second 50 times. So it's about properly weighting the categories for what the player does on the field to reflect it in your fantasy lineup. And Roto and Category Leagues, you can't do that. On the back of that, you also have what I call sort of secondary statistics, things that are forgotten about in most Roto and Category Leagues. If you do want to throw them in for something that uh, in a points league, maybe you want to deduct half a point if a pitcher throws a wild pitch. Maybe you want to deduct half a point if a batter grounds into a double play. Other things that on the field that maybe you could take away or give points for that you don't want to necessarily weight evenly compared to all the other categories. And then in terms of roster construction, I think Lewis touched on this as well. You don't have to worry about categorical balance. You're really looking for the best overall players. If you want to go out and draft all your hitters who are big mashers and you don't have to worry about stolen bases, you're free to go do that in a points league. In a category league or a head-to-head league, 
you really do have to worry about uh, the categorical balance, especially in Roto. If you're trying to finish in like, let's say the overall number one spot in some sort of NFBC contest, you're really looking for that categorical balance and hoping that a few players pop off. But in points league, because everything gets put into the same bucket at the end of the day, you're looking for the best overall player. And to me, that's the best way to really build a team is looking for the best player, not worrying about, well, I already have so many home runs. I can't take another big bopper on my team. Let me look instead of someone who hits more contact or gets more steals. If I really think that that player is the best pick at that point in time. I like that a lot, guys. Drafting. I love the idea of just going after the guy who's best available on the board. I mean, there's so much to be thinking about in between your picks. Now you're on the clock. It's ticking. It's going faster and faster. You got to pick a guy. It's cool to just be able to go after the guy best available that's going to contribute the most to your team. And when it comes to points also, I mean, I like that you brought up fantasy football because it's by far the most popular fantasy sport. And that's a big thing that I'm interested in, in doing here is converting more folks who play fantasy football to trying out baseball because they don't know what they're missing. There's such a big difference between, you know, setting your lineup once a week and seeing the guy you're playing get 200 yards and three touchdowns. You're like, oh, all right, on to next week versus, you know, every day you can you have guys playing, you're making your pickups like it's a whole different experience. The daily action. I mean, the sample size in football is so small, too. Right. And there's so much about game planning and coaches decision making that's out of real our hands as the fantasy players where. If a team's up and you have a wide receiver and they're running the ball now, you're out of luck. But in baseball, especially on the hitter side, right, everyone gets their shot in the lineup. Everyone comes up in the lineup. So you're getting that at bat no matter what the score is. But in football, it's about opportunity. It's about game plan. And a lot of that is somewhat random and out of the hands of us as the fantasy managers. And that makes me think of something else I really appreciate about baseball in that there's no clock that is winding down, you know, when you're up a few scores at the end of the game, the studs are getting benched or you're down at the same time, studs are getting benched in a baseball game. They need to get every single out until the game's over and guys are in the game until the end of it for the most part. Yeah, it's well said. I don't know. If you give the owners enough power, they may implement a clock one day. <laughs> oh my don't, don't do that. <laughs> don't put that out there. <laughs> don't give me any ideas. All right. In the same former episode that I brought up my points versus categories take, I did share with folks that in a points league, you were probably good sticking with the platform's default settings. And well, my bad. There's plenty of time to correct it. I did not realize how disproportionate and unstandardized they were until really taking a closer look at the default settings while trying to come up with the best structure for the OG Morning Dump Points League that I'm starting this year. I mean, it's really, it's all over the place. On ESPN, I see some essential categories missing, like home runs and quality starts. And while Yahoo's including those, the top total scores for hitters in 2021 ranged from 1,300 to 1,600, while pitchers were going from around 700 to 1,000. So folks can check out your website, pointsleepros.com, for the full rundown. But could you please walk us through some of the essential stats that you like to include in your leagues and how best to value them? Yeah, so I think that it's a lot of the stats that 
are traditional to normal baseball, right? Total bases, you could do one point for a single, two points for a double, three points for a triple, four points for a home run. You're going to have points for things like runs, RBIs, stolen bases. On the pitching side, you're likely going to have innings pitched, so every out is worth a certain number of points. Uh, every strikeout is worth a certain number of points. Then you can deduct points for things like earned runs. So these are all the sort of standard that I say are they're available in Roto as well. Like earned runs is sort of a proxy for ERA. Uh, walks from the pitcher side and hits allowed or a proxy for whip. So a lot of them are somewhat standardized, but you also do have a number of the other statistics um, that I mentioned before, things like grounded double plays, wild pitches, box, uh, errors, if you want to include that from the fielder's perspective. So there's a bunch of other things that you can give smaller points to if you wanted to have that little bit of increase or decrease or separation between two different players. I think the main thing that really that we see uh, as value from a points league standpoint is from the hitter side, there's really a disconnect where you know that for a hitter, striking out is bad. And for a pitcher, striking a batter out is good. And why in most roto and head-to-head leagues are strikeouts only a pitcher category, right? We don't deduct points from the hitter side in roto and head-to-head leagues, in head-to-head category leagues, if a hitter strikes out. So you can give take away points from hitters for strikeouts. Um, and then on the opposite side of that, you can give points for walks. Any way that you can get on first base, hit by pitch, walk, catcher's interference if you want to do that. There's ways to give points for the batter reaching first for things that are either within their control or outside of their control. Yeah, and, and to expand just a little more, um, one of the reasons why I'm sure anybody that's played points leagues has experienced the the difficulty balancing pitchers and, and hitters, right? Because as you were touching on earlier, like when, when you're looking just at the default settings, the point ranges vary so much between the top tier guys, the, the bottom guys, that whole middle range of everyone else. And for pitchers and hitters, like a lot of times in a default points league, pitchers end up just dominating. And I, I'm sure we'll touch on this later too, but there's no uh, uh, checks and balances in place, right? A, a team in a, a default points league often has the ability to just win a matchup by by streaming. Just, you know, maybe you got your top three, four pitchers and everybody else, you're just dropping, streaming, playing matchups. There's so many things you have to put in place, right? Like in, in the default points league that we first played in, I think it was an ESPN league back in 2012. I think wins were 10 points back then. And you had pitchers when they, you know, nine inning complete game shutouts with, you know, 13 strikeouts, whatever. They come away with 50 points, which is if if you know your points league settings, it's too much. It's it's far too much. And so what we've done in our experience over over, you know, the many years that we've been playing is we fine tune them and we've implemented as many checks and balances as we can to keep pitchers and hitters competitively balanced. Right. You, it's still never going to be possible to compare the top pitcher and the top hitter right because they're the outliers but that middle range you'll find a lot of balance there between pitchers and hitters and on the opposite side of that the pitcher who doesn't perform well but still gets the win because we know for us fantasy baseball players wins and losses aren't necessarily always a good representation of how a pitcher actually performs on the field that player is now getting 10 additional points even though he gave up six runs over five innings because his team bailed him out and scored 10 runs themselves. So over time, taking some of the random factors out of the game, and we still do 
allocate a small number of points to wins and small deduction for losses because we do think that there is something to be said about those stats. But it's definitely not as much as the default sites recommend and not what ESPN was defaulting back in the early 2010s. Right. We're mainly trying to do two things, right? You, you want to achieve balance in the points league, but you also want to preserve fun. So we've made as many changes as we can so that things are balanced, but we're not completely taking away wins and losses because I feel like that would reduce the fun aspect of the game. You don't want to turn it into just, you know, a spreadsheet calculator. Sounds like a great way to help bring a standardization across leagues. What do you guys allocate for a win and a loss out of curiosity? Currently, both are at three, and we give two points for a quality start. So if a pitcher, you know, deserves their win, I guess you could say it, they're getting five points. And if they lose, they're only losing three points. The funny thing about wins and losses from the pitcher side, too, just getting into the minutiae is, right, relievers also get wins and losses. So if you're a relief pitcher, let's say you have a closer, you have a horrible night at the ballpark. You blow a save, you get the loss, you give up, let's say, three earned runs in the last inning, you get .2 innings pitched, that's going to be massive negative. If you have negative 10 for a loss, you're, you're accumulating all those negative points. Now, Greg, it was a bad night at the ballpark, so you deserve negatives, but that can ruin an entire week just based upon that one start. So you really have to be careful when you're balancing things. A lot of people just think wins and losses apply to starting pitching. Relievers also get wins and losses too. Definitely, and often well-deserved. So the next thing I'd like to touch on are rosters. Could you guys share a little bit about how you've come to decide the lineups you choose to roll out each week? Uh, There's so many different options. I I did notice you guys like to include corner infielders, a certain number of starters versus relievers. So the corner and the middle infielders were added, I want to say a couple years ago, maybe three, four years ago, mainly in an effort to buff hitting on draft day. So without those slots, every day you have less active hitters who can accumulate points. Even with all the checks and balances we put in place, pitchers that pop off can get anywhere from, you know, 20 to let's say 35 points if they're throwing a no-hitter out there. That can still have a, a huge impact on a week. But that's that's not a bad thing. If, if they're pitching really well, they should have a, a huge impact on a week. It only becomes an issue when the hitters can't keep up. Because then what happens in a, in a points league draft is you don't want the first three rounds to be all pitchers, you know, or like give or take, you know, a couple of top-tier hitters. And, and that can happen. We've had that happen years ago where that's the case. And so what we do is we try to think, okay, how can we make it more balanced? How can we incentivize people to draft the top tier hitters? Maybe not one-to-one where their head-to-head um, ADP is, but closer, you know, or, or maybe where the better points league hitters go up a little higher. And what we found is, is that with the middle and the corner infield slots, right? I think we've got four outfielders. We have one utility on top of all the infield positions. I think we're at 12 active hitting positions right now. And a good, you know, a good or a great, whatever you want to call it, points league hitter can can score, you know, three points per game. Let's just use that as a round number. That would be 36 points a day. That matches up pretty well when you consider the range that top tier pitchers can score. So that's that's mainly the reason for uh, for those hitting slots. 
I'm sorry, you want to refresh me on on the second part of that question? It was the hitting slots and and what was the other? The relief pitchers? Uh, About the number of starters and relievers you choose to include. So we limit rosters right now to have nine starting pitchers. If you have all your slots as just pitcher slots, right, a lot of times a team won't be incentivized to roster many closers, right? In a category league, a lot of times a, a viable option is to just punt saves. Um, right. Or conversely, to just stack up on closers and, and punt wins or, or you know, um, we want to incentivize drafting a balanced team, right? We, we want our drafts to include relief pitchers as well as starting pitchers. The one relief pitcher slot is there to force a reliever in that slot. The two other pitcher sl- spots used to be relief pitcher spots. But what has happened in the past is that maybe a team, it doesn't happen often, but maybe a team has five pitchers go on the same day, right? Like maybe the, you know, starts get delayed. It happens. In the past, teams have to sit a pitcher because they had five, you know, and we only had four pitcher spots. So we've offset that by having those two relief pitcher spots converted to pitcher spots. Ideally, you want a relief pitcher in there on all the days where you don't need them because the relief pitcher has a has the opportunity to come in every day, whereas a starting pitcher is going to pitch once every five, six days usually. But they're pitcher spots because it opens up roster flexibility now in case that one in you know a thousand situation happens. Now we have a safeguard in place for it. Maximizing points. The from the hitter's side to jump back to that, the corner infield, middle infield, there you brought up a great point. The the reason why we had that is going through a draft, we didn't want a lot of the premise behind points league, right? Is drafting the best player available. You don't care what categories he gets. But we found that going through a draft, oftentimes people were feeling like they were forced to avoid certain players because of positional balance. So let's say round one, you have a middle pick, you end up with Vlad Jr. On the back turn in the snake draft on the second round, Freddie Freeman's sitting right there and you want to take him, but you can't because you only have one first base slot. So we wanted that that manager to be able to pull the trigger if they do want Freddie Freeman. Obviously within balance, we don't want someone drafting five first basemen in their first five pick and be able to play them all. So adding that corner infield and middle infield slot helped us in the draft provide a bit more flexibility with allowing people to not feel forced to take certain positions, uh, especially early on in the draft. If you didn't want to get locked into locking up your first base or second base slot to give you the flexibility to later on the draft, go and reach for that player who you really want that can break out. You can still roster that player and play them on a day-to-day basis. It thins out waivers too, right? Because if I'm remembering correctly, we added the positional spots without reducing the same amount of bench spots. So we increased the overall roster size with those changes when we implemented them. And the reasoning behind that is because a lot of times in a, you know the fantasy baseball season, right, we have our pre-draft rankings and everything, but every year you're going to have a bunch of hitters come out of the woodworks that nobody knew of, and now they're producing at, you know, good to great, you know, occasionally even, you know, top tier, you know, Mike Trout rookie year levels and teams are going to pick them up, you know. It's about opportunity cost of filling that slot on waivers. So if I think a player is going to get 300 points this year, hitter, and I think that the top player on waivers is going to get 290, why would I ever pick up that player for 300 if there's not much of a difference about what I can get on waivers? So in that case, people would then always default to more pitching. So the more hitters that are drafting a draft, it thins out waivers. 
lowers the opportunity cost that that you can replace that player later on with someone else as good and it just pushes hitting up kind of across the board helps in points leagues really get hitting sort of going on the draft well thought out fellas to your points guys guys come up i mean you're finding guys on the waivers very often that are league winners just go back and look at all the guys who went undrafted in your past leagues you'll be shocked one sticks out, uh, Cedric Mullins, right? I don't think he went drafted. Yeah, there last. you go. No, oh, he came up and he was a top outfielder. And that's that's funny you say that because outfield usually is the position where that happens the most. I'd like to play a little game called Pump or Dump. So if you guys could throw some names out there that you're pumping and dumping on draft day, guys you feel like with respect to points leagues – compared to the rankings that are out there that are more catered towards roto and categories are being under and overvalued in points leagues and why? Yeah, it sounds like a fun game. I'll do a, a pitcher first. Um, I think Luis Castillo is being underrated right now. Ooh. Pitchers that throw a lot of innings, typically good. Castillo is pretty good at throwing a decent amount of innings. But the reason he's getting discounted is because his first half and his second half numbers were two totally different stories. He had a 3.18 ERA in the second half last season. He had a 4.65 ERA in the first. The velocity was shaky in the beginning of the year. If you look at his uh, his pitching charts on fan graphs, the velocity charts, he was right back to where it always was by the end of the year. He increased the K9 from 8 0.42 in the first half to 10.16 in the second. He reduced his walks by about 0.8. And last year, he got a little unlucky too. He had a, a 3.18 BABIP. His career BABIP against is a, a 2.87. So if you look at everything, you come away with a pitcher that got a little unlucky, had a worse half, a first half than second half, finished the year strong. His XERA was actually a third of a run lower than his actual ERA. So for me, Castillo is a no-brainer where he's going right now in a, in a points league. I think also on top of that, you have to factor in the point that he might get traded because the Reds are trading everyone. I think they traded the ball boy today. <laughs> yeah. And that's only going to help his value, right? I mean, NL Central is pretty weak in terms of the hitting from the other teams, but that ballpark is atrocious to pitch in. Um, so you have to figure if he goes somewhere, especially maybe somewhere with warmer climate, considering how his stats look compared to if you compare it overlay with a weather chart, does historically pitch better in warmer weather. If he gets traded to, let's say, like the Marlins or, or somewhere down south where the weather is a little bit better, somewhere in California, uh, that he could provide some decent value compared to where he's going for his ADP. Yeah, definitely. Uh, some other names, uh, just quickly, Anthony Rendon, uh, he's averaged three and a half fantasy points per game. If you go all the way back from 2017 to 2021, um, he was hurt last year. Uh, the angels were, you know, just kind of all over the place. Uh, they all look healthy so far, uh, this preseason. Um, I think a healthy Rendon is going to be productive in a points league. Uh, Yuli Gurriel. A very good strikeout to walk ratio. Uh, very underrated in points leagues. He's usually a, a solid performer, um, but he gets overlooked in a, in roto and, and head to head category leagues because he's not going to hit you the twenty five home runs. Or really, all he does is he hits for a high average. But in a in a points league, he's getting on base, walking all the time. 
Um, some other players, Clayton Kershaw going a bit low right now. He just resigned. I know there were questions if he was going to retire or not. Um, I like Clevenger as a bounce back this year. Um, and Max Muncy would be the other one I would highlight for uh, a pump in a points league. He's, he's underrated. And the recent report is that he expects to be ready for opening day. And he's been a points league monster forever. Um, if we're dumping players, I'm dumping Sally Perez. No question about it. Oh, uh, he had the highest O swing of all qualified hitters last year. Uh, he swung at 48.3% of pitches outside the zone. He also played a ton of games. We haven't really seen him play this many games um, and, and last into the next year. So I expect fewer games played this season than he played last year. And I'd like to think that if he's swinging at more pitches outside the zone than any other qualified hitter, maybe the strikeouts go up a little bit. Maybe that hurts you. Not that he's a bad player, but if you're taking him in the you know late second, early third round of your points league, I think you're passing a value there. Um, Shane McClanahan, I think a lot of people are projecting him as if he's already going to pitch a ton of innings. Um, and maybe in a roto or a head-to-head league, you know, the, the strikeouts are all they're, they're focused on. But in a points league, he only pitched about 120 innings last year. I would look at him more similarly to Shane Baz, his teammate. You know, a, a young pitcher with a lot of promise where there's going to be innings limit concerns uh, through the season. So I think he's going a bit high for my taste too right now. Good chance of that. McClanahan's going several rounds ahead of Baz. You know, you made me think about Dylan Cease versus Michael Kopech there. He's a guy I wanted to ask you guys about. I saw him on your rankings around the 30 mark, and I'm curious what you think about his ADP. He reached around 12.3 Ks per nine last year. All of his stats have, have improved over the years since he's been in the league, but his ERA is still close to four with a whip at 1.249. And I don't really want to touch him that early in drafts. You dumping or pumping? For me, with Cease, I don't know that I'd put him into either of those two buckets. He's a guy that if he falls later than I think he should, I'm not going to be too scared of taking. But to your point, last year was the first year that we really saw productivity out of him. In our league, he scored 12.1 fantasy points per, per start last season. The the past two years, he was at, you know, 7.4 and 6.1. But that being said, he also started more games than he's ever in his career last season. And we did see a similar-ish type of jump with uh, Lucas Giolito a couple of years back. So I do believe that the strikeout rate does mean that he's got the ability to miss bats. He's going to limit contact. That's all good. I wouldn't hesitate to take him if he fell too far, in my opinion. How about you, Justin? I think for me, and everyone has to kind of know the way that they draft, and I'm a fairly conservative drafter, I think at that ADP, I'm dumping, just for my personal taste. Because if you think about the two options here, and I really think it's sort of Cease is a great player for two different extreme ends of the spectrum. I think he can put everything together, end up as a 15, 16 point per game player. I also think he can revert back to what he did previous years. Control issues, walks go up ends up as, call it, an 8 to 9 point per game player. But at that ADP, at the cost that it's going to take for me to get him, I think there's a lot safer picks that I feel more comfortable about. So as a player, I actually think he's probably more likely that this is the breakout. But 
given the cost of what it's going to take, I think there's other players around the ADP that I personally feel more comfortable building my team around and going for someone who has that breakout potential a little bit later. Appreciate the tips on these guys. Love Rendon. I had him when he was going off a few years ago. Some injuries slowed him down, but hey, there are a lot of guys coming off of injuries that could really be league winners this year, late in drafts. I saw one of you had Verlander up to 15 on your pitcher ranking. Dustin's baby this year. Woo, I love him too, man. He could be, uh, I mean, he ages like fine wine. The guy had two of his best seasons in 2018 and 19. I mean, at this point, he's further removed from his Tommy John surgery than Chris Sale was when he came back. And Chris Sale had a number of setbacks with COVID, back issues. So, look, am I saying Verlander is going to pitch 200 innings? No, I don't think so. I think he probably gets closer to 170, 180 this year. But I don't see why the quality isn't going to be close to what he's given us in the past. Uh, I'm assuming, my ranking is assuming he's fully healthy. I think the second he steps on a mound in spring training and everyone sees that the velo is there, I think he's going to jump. His ADP is going to jump up. I'm just assuming that that's already going to happen. And that's where I would rank him, assuming that he's healthy. He's going between 100 to 150, depending on the platform. But agreed, that could shoot up real fast. So get him before somebody else does. Another guy I love is Clevenger. Glad you mentioned him. I mean, we were talking about him, top 15 rankings. You know, the Tommy John plagued his his 2020, wiped out his 2021. But he's got some fantastic career numbers, 3.19 ERA, 1.186 whip. Gets his strikeouts. I think he could be great value going as a, after the 150 ADP mark. Yeah, I've always been a big Clevenger fanboy. I know Justin is a, a bit more nervous, but I'm, I'm ready to draft Clevenger in, in our league this year. Unless he gets sniped from me. <laughs> <laughs> How much fun to watch him on the mound with the little shivy. I know. <laughs> I love it. What the heck do we do with Fernando Tatis? I mean, when are you going to take him if he's there? I think when I'm looking at Tatis versus like Glaber Torres, like that tier, I'll probably go Tatis just because like with Glaber, there's so many question marks, you know, if he's going to be bounce back this year or not. So it's like, all right, maybe I'll take the shot at Tatis over him. But somebody like Bobby Witt Jr., that's a really tough, tough call. The thing about Tatis is, right, he's not a zero in your lineup for the first couple of months, right? You're going to have a replacement level player there. So you'll likely have Tatis down the stretch run of your leagues if your league does. We do playoffs. I'd rather have Tatis out these months than sometime at later in the season. Now, obviously, there's risk. He can be out both. But it's not like there's going to be a zero in your shortstop position. You're going to replace him with, call it like a league average player. So it's really three months of a league average player and then assuming the rest of your season with Tatis, including playoffs, versus Bobby Witt, which is an unknown. And that's where it gets a little interesting to me. And that that's another point I made about Chris Sale with the news coming out today uh, with his ribs. It, I think Chris Sale was going to be on innings pitch count anyway. And so to have those innings happen at the start of the season instead of during when I need him most, which is playoff times and finals, I'm actually kind of okay that Sale is going to start the season a little bit later because I think he's going to be able, when he does go, to go full throttle. And then if you have IL slots in your league, which we do, we have, I think, four or five IL slots, 
you can slot him in there, pick up someone else on waivers. It's a, you know, call it a league average player. They're not going to be Chris Sale. They're not going to be Fernando Tatis, but they're just a stopgap to get you to that point. You have to worry about all the combined injury risk on your team. You don't want to take all those guys who are going to start the season hurt, but I don't think there's anything wrong with taking one or two. That's league winning mentality right there, man. I got to get my pump in for one guy, if you don't mind. Oh, please do. Lewis knows this is bad oh, year after year after year. This is a problem. Nelson Cruz is underrated in every Ooh. format. He is. It's, it's crazy. And I mean, I was the guy every year, year after year with David Ortiz. And then when David Ortiz retired, I just replaced him with Nelson Cruz, who does pretty much the same thing. But you're getting a guy on your team who has historically averaged 3.5 points per game. That's a lot for a hitter. That's a decent number for a hitter, right? 40 home runs over his time with the Twins. He's like a 298 hitter. Gets traded to Tampa for half a season where there's known batter eye issues. And he, he struggles a little bit. And everyone wants to cry age. Everyone wants to cry, he's clogging up my utility slot. But what's the other option? If you want to get all of these flexible position players, and now your whole team is flexible, who are you going to have in your utility slot? You're going to have like Kevin Newman in your utility slot. And Kevin Newman's a fine player. But Shots he's not fired at Cruz. Kevin Newman. <laughs> there's, there's no reason why you should. It's crazy. There's no reason why people should be scared about filling up their utility slot early in the draft. And Nelson Cruz now in Washington, he's a great hitter's ballpark. He'll be hitting right behind Juan Soto, who gets on base 50% of the time. I, I am buying him everywhere I possibly can. He's a monster. He's a machine. He smashes the ball. And yeah, he's going to be playing at the top of that lineup. Justin does need to go to rehab, though, for his his Nelson Cruz addiction at this point. It's been a every year, and he's right. You know that that's the the worst part about it. He's totally right, but the the man is obsessed. I mean, I end up with the same type of players every year. They just get one year older, but they keep doing the same thing. So I keep drafting them: Nelson Cruz, Justin Turner, all guys who I love year after year. Turner, a big producer in points leagues also. And at a, at a shallow position, oh, yeah. you know, miss out on the top guys. Somebody to look at for sure. All right, fellas. Major, major respect for putting yourselves out there. Plug whatever you got going on, your websites, your medias, anything else. The floor is yours. Thank you. Thank you. And thanks for having us. It's been a great time. Um, you can find our website at pointsleaguepros.com. Um, our Instagram is the exact same handle, pointsleaguepros. Our Twitter, pointslgpros. And uh, we also have our own uh, podcast. You can find us on Spotify, on uh, Apple Podcasts. What kind of content are you guys dropping during the season? Just all rotisserie content. Just nothing about points leagues at all. <laughs> no, it's it's just all points league content. Trying to you know help people win their points leagues and make them more accessible. Awesome. How often? It's weekly. Right now we're going through sort of positional rankings. Our last podcast was actually we just finished up the uh, TGFBI draft the for in NFBC. So we're one of the we're in one of the thirty one leagues, the industry leagues. So really excited to be invited there for the first time. So. Feel free to listen. It's a bit of a divergence for us, right? Because that is a Roto League, and we're just two points league pros. So uh, we're hoping to do our best. Expectations are really low, though. So that's good. Hopefully we can surpass them. But yeah, we try and do weekly. Right now we're doing positional rankings. We'll try and get some out, given how short the offseason is going to be. 
maybe two a week going into the start of the season, get everyone sort of prepared and ready for their drafts. Maybe we got to have a, a reunion mid-season, something like that. Definitely, definitely, man. Okay, well, finally, I would love to extend to you guys an invitation to play in my OG Morning Dump Points League. We'll definitely be adopting a lot of the settings that you shared with us today. Again, appreciate it big time. We would love to have you guys be a part of it. Dude, we are we are honored that you even thought to invite us. We will gladly accept your invitation. Sounds like a ton of fun. Let's have a good season, man. Hell yeah, let's do it. Baseball's back, baby. All right, thank you all for joining us. And remember, can't have your coffee without the morning dump. Mm-hmm.